0: Cult, or 1989. 1989 cult classic black comedy horror film, Vampire's Kiss. This is either a movie about becoming a vampire or about mental illness spiraling out of control. Kind of like Interview with a Vampire Meets Fight Club and both movies were done badly. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well,
0: not badly
1: because this was like... Definitely
0: weird, yeah.
1: It was made during
0: uh, a strike. That so makes a lot of sense.
1: A lot of shit, like, usually, like, where uh, videos would come in, it's like, you can't do that, or something like that. Or, you know, someone was like, you know, press the button and say stop. So that there
0: was happened. no oversight.
1: Yeah, and plus it's like, the directorial debut by the guy. Right. So he wanted to, you know, get his business card, make his bones, put that shit out there. And, you know, it's fucking Nicolas Cage and like, one of his first acts. <laughs> <laughs> and like even if you don't like the movie you know you've used the memes they're like reaction gifs memes
0: so many of them yeah
1: and it's all from this one fucking movie that hardly anybody's seen except for fucking film weirdos
0: yep and us
1: yeah oh i was including us in- <laughs>
0: now,
1: myself, <I> just, right? <laughs> for myself but yeah uh if you're in the cult movies this has definitely been thrown in your face uh, yeah, absolutely. Usually one of the first 10 movies out of like all the weird movies that someone's going to give you.
0: Uh, movies Rated R runs 103 minutes long and has a 61% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 54% audience score there. So apparently the critics liked it just a little bit better than audiences did.
1: Well, they read the subtext and this movie's chocolate. Sure.
0: Oh, yeah, Definitely. I mean, it is a movie about a guy just uh, spiraling down into depression and schizophrenia. Yeah.
1: Plus, a lot of the subplot like the, doesn't really have anything to do with what's actually going on. Right. It's more about like a framing device to show these people's emotional state.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But if you're just paying attention to what's going on the screen, you're missing out a lot. You know? Yeah. Or... If- what they're talking about, you got to really like look at like the the feeling and shit like that. I hate sounding like some damn art critic, but it's in there. It's there's really good performances, but maybe way ahead of its time.
0: The it's kind of an inside joke almost uh, oh, the yeah. way this was written, and and I'll get to that here in a bit. The movie was made on a budget of two million dollars. It made seven hundred and twenty-five thousand at the box office, and was released to video the following year. Nicholas Cage was actually nominated for several awards. He was nominated for the Best Male Lead at the Film Independent Spirit Awards, and he won Best Actor at the Catalonian International Film Festival for this movie. Oh, yeah. The movie was written by Joseph Minion. He's known for the Martin Scorsese film, After Hours, which starred Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette, Cheech and Chong, and Terry Garr and Motorama, which apparently is a road trip movie about a 10-year-old boy who stole a Mustang and headed cross-country.
1: I think I've seen that once before when I was really uh, young. Yeah. Uh, And if I remember correctly, that is a great movie.
0: He wrote this movie, he wrote the screenplay while he was on vacation with his then-girlfriend, and the entire screenplay is about how toxic their relationship is. And how miserable he is being dominated by her.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She was horrified by this and insisted on joining the project as a producer. <laughs> and I should tell you just just how bad that relationship is. I hate that you think of me this way. I want to be in charge. Yeah, like in the movie,
1: I guess, like, she's supposed to be Nicolas Cage?
0: No, she is Rachel. Oh, the writer weird. is Nicolas Cage, and... His girlfriend at the time is the vampire that's ruining his life.
1: Oh, that makes total sense then. Yeah, no.
0: Yep. Movie was directed by Robert Bierman. Uh, Before this, Bierman had directed a couple of short films and some commercials. And this is his first feature film. The writer, Joseph Minion, was originally set to direct, but he bailed on this when his depression... And the knowledge that this was about his emotionally abusive girlfriend just got to be too much for him, and he couldn't deal anymore. So he decided he's out. And Bierman went on to direct a number of mostly crime drama series for television in the u k
1: that makes sense, because, like, the whole time this this seems like like a a detective movie that the detective never comes in,
0: yeah. Cinematographer Stefan Chapsky. He was the cinematographer for Edward Scissorhands, Thin Blue Line, Ed Wood, Batman Returns, Child Play 2, and Blades of Glory. So not everybody who worked on this show was crap. <laughs>
1: it does seem like a Tim Burton movie before the era of Tim Burton. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the humor. Yeah, I can see that. Like kind of is black. It's like really black. You know.
0: Yeah, it definitely is, yeah. This movie also features the final work of special effects and creature artist Roger Shaw, known for working on the Landstriders in The Dark Crystal and doing special effects work on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and animatronics work in The Princess Bride. And he died prior to the release of this film at age 39. Damn, I was young. Yeah, it's the last thing he worked on, and that kind of sucked. Uh, yeah, I saw what you did there. If you, if you if you, if you're gonna die after working on a movie, at least it could be a good movie. <laughs> I don't know. I just,
1: it's a great movie. It's just it's extremely weird, and it I can see where it rubs people the wrong way.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's just very weird. There are parts of this movie that I absolutely love. Movie stars Nicolas Cage as Peter Lowe. Nicolas Cage, best known for Ghost Rider, The Rock, Face Off, National Treasure, Con Air, Honeymoon in Vegas. This was his follow-up to the Oscar-winning film Moonstruck with Cher. Um, That movie won Oscars for Best Picture, Best Actress in a Leading Role, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Vincent Gardena, and Best Writing, and Best Director. When Joseph Minion, the writer, decided he was not going to direct this, Nicolas Cage also decided he wasn't going to be in this movie, but then changed his mind despite his agent telling him, you don't want to work on this after you just made an award-winning movie.
1: That's fucked up, because in interviews, he said this is his favorite movie he's ever made.
0: Well, I mean, that's why he would go against uh, you know, his agent. And and he really really seems like he had a lot of fun making this movie. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> because he had uh, a new director, he could get away with just about anything, and he apparently did. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah. What it, it what's weird is Judd Nelson almost was the role of the yeah. vampire, and uh, I think that this movie would have totally sucked.
0: It would have been horrible.
1: Yeah, it would it have been like
0: the first Punisher movie.
1: <laughs> hey now. <laughs> <laughs> that thing was marred by production shit, man. Uh yeah, no, that was a piece of crap. But yeah, no. <laughs> this Cage really carries this movie. And I think it's yeah. big of his uh over the top Nick Caging like shit.
0: Right. This movie really is Nick Cage trying to prove he's not kosher because he brought all of the ham.
1: Yeah. It was is is really weird cuz like he's an I don't want to see he's a Nepo baby, but he kind of is, you know.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: But also kind of weird, kind of a, a you know, cult classic Dracula movie. I say Dracula like that, but cult classic vampire movie. Right. Because I call all vampires Dracula. And then like right. his uncle goes and makes Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is like one of the most visually stunning movies of all time. Yes. And, uh, yeah, just like, was it last week or something? He's in a movie where he plays Dracula. He plays
0: Dracula in Renfield, yeah. And the thing about it, the thing that got me when I was watching this, because, you know, I just watched this for the last time, uh, for the first time a couple days ago, the character of Renfield in the current movie looks a lot like Nick Cage in this movie. Oh, yeah, the British guy. Yeah.
1: So, uh, in the in the books and in the uh, Martin Scorsese movie, of course, Renfield, he's a zoo-pagan vampire, which means they, right. they they don't they don't have any of the powers, but they smaller animals like they use them. Sure. Bug, they feed bugs to birds, then birds to cats, cats to dogs, and then eat the dogs to consume the souls. And right. And this he, he eats a cockroach like straight up.
0: Straight up, yeah.
1: ASPCA was all over his ass for a couple years for that shit.
0: And it was actually. Suggested that he eat something, that he do something else, but he decided Nick Cage convinced the director that seeing him eat the cockroach would hurt the audience more. Yeah. That's where he went. And Maria Conchita Alonso as Alva Restrepo. Oh, man. She appears in Moscow on the Hudson with Robin Williams. She was in The Running Man, Predator 2, and Extreme Prejudice. Uh, raised in Venezuela, she's a former pageant queen. She was first runner-up for Miss Venezuela in 1975 and placed in the top seven in the Miss World pageant also in 1975. She appeared in several telenovelas and had a singing career with three Grammy nominations before moving to the U.S. in 1982. And in 1995, she became the first South American woman to star in a Broadway production when she took the lead role in Kiss of the Spider-Woman.
1: Fucking A, hell yeah. Yeah. I just remember her in, like, The Running Man, like, in a bunch of, like, 80s, or, uh, 80s action movies. She was, like, right. always off to the corner, off to the side, you know, standing beside the action guy. Right. But yeah, Running Man kicks ass. Predator 2 is fucking awesome.
0: And I'll watch anything with Robin Williams. I don't care how crappy it. I love <laughs> Popeye. Shut up.
1: Yeah, no, I love Popeye too. <laughs>
0: that movie ruins so many careers.
1: Well, it's a Robert Altman movie that's a musical, and his whole thing was he has like that natural thing where people just talk over people, and you kind of got to like dissect what's going on. Yeah. And when people are talking while other people are singing, it's just weird, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jennifer Beals as Rachel, holy crap, does this woman work a lot?
1: Oh, yeah, no. I love her.
0: She has appeared in two to five projects every year since 1988. Damn. Whether it's TV or movies, she's been in at least two every year and, not, and, and sometimes as many as five in a year. She's known for Flashdance, The L Word, White Orchid, The Book of Eli, and an appearance on Frasier. Nicholas Cage reportedly did not like working with her because he thought the role was going to his girlfriend, Patricia Arquette. But no, you're stuck with Jennifer Beals, who is freaking amazing. Yeah. Um, but he did not like working with her. And it shows on the camera.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I heard in their, uh, love scene, Nicholas Cage asked, uh, to he requested that yogurt be poured on his toes so it can get turned on. Hot yogurt. And I'm like, man, all right, yeah, but it's Jennifer Bills. Uh, um. Yeah. Man, it, they're weird. Definitely. Yeah, but that, I don't know if that's true, because that's like some, uh, shit that a production assistant, like, came out and said, so.
0: Yeah, that was probably some shit. It's a fun story anyway. Oh, yeah, I had to put that in there. <laughs> Elizabeth Ashley is Dr. Glaser. She began her career on stage winning a Tony and, a the- and winning Tony and Theater World Awards. On TV, she made the circuit <laughs> of the cop and crime dramas from the 1970s all the way through the 1990s. And most recently, she appeared in four- 13 episodes of the Natasha Leone series Russian Doll. That was her project before Poker Face.
1: Yeah, which I'm going to go back and watch that shit because now I'm on the Natasha Leone kick, and you know I've already watched she's her fun
0: movie. to watch.
1: Yeah, no, I fucking like even like I don't know. We, me and her, kind of grew up, you know, because I remember being a kid and watching her on Pee Wee's Playhouse and shit. And right, kind of just grew with her career, and she's great. I love her. Yeah,
0: and then finally we've got Cassie Lemons as Jackie. She appeared in Candyman and Silence of the Lambs. More recently, she has achieved really incredible success as a director. She directed Luke Cage, Harriet, and Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. (laughs) Movie starts off as all low-budget '80s movies do, with a skyline and opening credits and moody saxophone music.
1: Oh yeah, now if you're in New York between like uh i don't know like the 70s to like the late 90s early 2000s saxophones the way to go
0: yes and you this absolutely it's like it's like a requirement of filming in new york you have to open with a shot of the sky of the manhattan skyline yeah it's it's the law
1: also uh post 11 of course you're going to see the 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 twin towers so go ahead and take a yep. shot yep
0: yep Peter Lowe is lying on a couch talking to his therapist, and they are discussing a relationship that ended. He said he just wanted her to not be there anymore, so she left. Damn. Yeah. Cut to people dancing in a club. Peter is talking to Jackie at the bar, and they leave together. She hails a cab, but Peter drunkenly tells him to be off. And he's speaking like a drunken SoCal Surfer dude trying to imitate an English accent. And he does it throughout the entire movie. movie.
1: That's uh well, no, see that's what's weird about this movie. He does have around people he's trying to impress. Yeah. But in other scenes, like where like especially with his uh uh his psychiatrist and those, he's kinda like more Normal speaking pattern. It's still a little nasally and shit, but it's it's, there's not enough energy in it. It's like he's defeated or something. Yeah, yeah. But when he's
0: drunk, when he's drunk, it's like the Geico gecko is trying to do an impression of Keanu Reeves from Bill and Ted.
1: Exactly, you nailed it, man. That was spot on. (laughs) That's (laughs) I think Geico, but I was gonna say just like an English dude doing Keanu Reeves and uh, uh. Point break,
0: yeah, it's awful it's it's horrible, and it's and he did it to be pretentious you you get that that's pretty clear, but um because yeah. because apparently he's a wealthy guy um, he's, so he's got to put on airs.
1: he's one of those fucking Gordon gecko fucking day trader type guys or something well, he's not a day trader. he's like a, a literary
0: agent, yeah, he's a literary agent,
1: but you know he's like he's like that kind of thing. he's like that American psycho type douchebag you know he's yeah down on everybody he sees inferior and then he tries to impress and kiss ass so he can move up the you know the grand pecking order
0: yep there's a young boy watching on the stairs as as peter and jackie drunkenly stumble into peter's apartment inside they begin undressing there's lots of really forced fake laughter throughout this entire opening sequence it's really it's really bizarre there is a creepy spy shot through the window as they make out partially dressed, and then they fall onto the bed, and as their intimacy progresses, a bat flies in through the open window, <laughs> causing Jackie to run away screaming. Now, this is the work of, of Roger Shaw. This is the last animatronics he ever did for film.
1: That bat was awesome, though.
0: It was a really good bat. Jackie is gathering up her clothes, and, and Peter is trying to get the bat out of the curtains by yelling, Shoo! Shoo! <laughs> and Jackie gathers up her clothes and runs naked into the hallway. The young boy is there getting an eyeful until his mother pulls him away. hmm <laughs> Well, Peter and Jackie finish dressing, and they leave the apartment building. She is laughing, and Peter joins her with a ridiculous fake laugh. He's just going, "Ha ha 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 ha!" Yeah, ha, 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 ha. They he, hail a cab and drive away.
1: That part where they get in the cab and he looks back at the uh, uh, his apartment windows like that fucking bat. Yeah, uh, that he looks so intense right there. So I'm I'm gonna say it right now. That's when he goes crazy. That's when he's starting to go crazy.
0: Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Next day in his office, Peter is reading a letter. His secretary, Alva, walks past the door and he calls her in. A client wants a souvenir copy of his first contract for selling a short story. And he can't find it in any of the obvious places. So he assigns her to go through the gigantic... A file where nothing is in order. Go through it page by page and find the contract. The receptionist calls on the intercom. Judy. We're going to hear from Judy a lot. Yeah. uh, To let him know that he has a call, but he's staring out the window at a young couple who are making out by the hot dog stand while the hot dog vendor tries really poorly to hand them some canned sodas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because they start making out, and he's like
1: getting up in their face with it, like, hey, <laughs> you
0: just take these and go. Yeah. Next, a cab drops Peter off at his apartment, and he's looking up at the open window that the bat came through. He gets into his apartment and he walks over to the window and he gives the curtain a shake to see if the bat's still there. Of course, it isn't. <laughs> Back at his therapist, Dr. Glazers, he's telling her about the bat and how he got turned on when he was fighting off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) She's confused by this, and, and that's when Peter decides their session is over and it's time to go.
1: Yeah, you can't just, like, drop a bomb like that in a therapy session. They're like, well, that's enough. Usually the doctor does that shit.
0: Yeah, so the weird thing, Doc, is... This bat was flying around the room, and I was trying to get it out the window, and that gave me a boner. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah. A little (laughs) teak. Mahogany. Mahogany. (laughs) (laughs) Back at his office, Alva has not found the contract yet, and Peter starts losing his temper, but she assures him that she will get right to it.
1: That poor girl.
0: Oh, man. If you think it's a bad boss now, you just wait.
1: Oh, I know, but I'm just saying. You can already tell. Oh yeah, that he just he just fucking puts her through the ringer because of his position, and it sucks so bad.
0: And this was this was in the '80s, so HR wasn't quite as vigilant as they are today. If this had happened today, she would be in in the HR office every single day talking about this guy.
1: I'm talking about like 10, 20 minutes. Like every 10, 20 minutes, she'd be in there with a new (laughs) complaint.
0: She just walks, she just knocks on the door of the HR rep, and and the HR rep just sighs and gets out of form and said, come on in.
1: (laughs) I can just see Toby from the office, like, just (laughs) in a chair.
0: Yeah, definitely Toby. Yeah. Well, that night, Peter's getting ready to go out, and then we see Peter at the bar. He is listening to a couple of guys discussing how IRAs work and (laughs) discussing it poorly. He starts hitting on a woman at another table. She introduces herself as Rachel, and they end up back at Peter's apartment having sex. That's when we discover that Rachel has fangs, and she chomps on his neck. Holding him down while he struggles until eventually he stops fighting and gives in. Also,
1: like normally in vampire movies, when that happens, it's it's kind of like I don't know. It seems like it's more romantic and shit. Yeah. And in this, it's just kind of like I don't know. This man, is straight
0: it, up rape. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it kind of because like he's just kicking and shit, and she's planking on him. She's like flat as a board, just <laughs> ripping in his. <laughs> and he's like struggling and shit. It, it's almost kind of cartoony everything and yep. i guess everything nicholas cage does in this movie is like over the top yeah and like everybody else is playing it off like a fucking horror movie from the 50s
0: right and they said uh, i read that nicholas cage decided that you know instead of method acting he was going to play this very surrealist. And and so, yeah, everything's way over the top. Everything's cartoonish um, and damn.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there's like some shit that he's doing in this movie that you're like, well, that's fucking that's insane. But he's playing a very insane person. And like Nicolas Cage, he just doesn't act with like, you know, face and shit. He moves with his whole body. His yeah,
0: entire moves, body. Yeah, he
1: moves like his whole vocal ring, so he's
0: like Jim Carrey almost.
1: Yeah, but like just Jim Carrey's insane, and like Nick Cage is like just criminally insane.
0: Next morning, Peter is shaving. There are no bite marks on his neck, but he does cut himself shaving, and he puts a big band aid over the over the nick on his neck. Then he heads to the kitchen to make coffee and takes it to the bed. He appears to be talking to Rachel, but when the camera angle changes to a shot from behind Peter, we can see there's nobody in the bed.
1: Yeah, man. That's that's like a real kind of like, uh, that's really well done because like he, he sits down, he's like making the coffee and shit and he's talking. He's like, oh, okay. And then when it it goes back and he's handing the coffee, like the camera's behind him now, And he goes to coffee, under the coffee, and he's just shaking there in an empty bed. like
0: Yeah, his hand is shaking and the cup's rattling around and the bed is empty. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think when he, we've passed the point where he started going crazy.
1: Yeah, like that night with the bat fucked him up for real.
0: So it's like he's hallucinating a vampire girlfriend. We all been there, man. Yeah, yeah. Peter and Jackie are at an art gallery. They are looking at some paintings, and she asks him if he likes to work. He's not really into this and says he has to go take a piss and just <laughs> ditches her. Ditches her, man. Right out the front door, hail a cab, gone.
1: I don't know. That always works. It works for me. Uh, I'm a little bit more uh, assertive, though. I'll just grab my stomach. I say I got to take a shit, and I'll bounce. <laughs> but, hey. <laughs> You got to go with works, and that that still works to this
0: day. Yeah. In the gallery, Jackie finally realizes that she's been dumped, and she leaves a message on Peter's answering machine telling him off. (laughs) Peter Peter is lying on his couch, listening to her leave the message on his answering machine. Back at the therapist, Dr. Glazer asks about the Band-Aid on Peter's neck. Um, She also wants to talk about the bat some more, but he doesn't know what she's talking about. And so she reminds him and he says, oh, yeah, I was I was drunk and and I was horny and I'd been drinking a lot. So I was drunk because I've been drinking and also I was horny. (laughs) (laughs) Got to go. See ya.
1: Yeah. Wait, not back here. We that. You know what? Yeah, go. Give him a check. Give
0: him a- <laughs> Back at the office, Frank Heatherton is calling about the copy of the contract he asked for. And Peter starts twitching. <laughs> <laughs> it's just open mouth, like he's going out, 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 out. But no noise is coming out. He tells Judy that uh, he wants Alva sent in there because he wants her to hear just how angry Frank is. He puts Frank on speaker and Frank says, look, I I understand that this is an old contract that it's probably buried in a deep file. It's going to be hard to find. It's going to take a while. Look, there's no rush. I just wanted to make sure you got my message about
1: it. Yeah. Don't sweat about it. Everything's cool, man.
0: In fact, I'm leaving the country for a few weeks. And we'll talk when I get back. They <laughs> hang up the phone and Peter says, well, obviously you can tell that Mr. Heather to Heatherton is boiling mad <laughs> and insinuated that he's going to take his business to another agency. If we don't find the contract, if you don't find the contract.
1: That's when he does the, uh, the famous cigarette in the mouth pointing. Yes. That's uh, that's a, one of my most used reaction gifts. Like, yeah, you got me. You know, you understand. Uh and but he's it's not in <laughs> context. He's a total dick bag. Right.
0: He sends Alpha back to find the contract and then takes the rest of the day off. Yeah. <laughs> what a dick. <day. laughs> yeah. Peter is at a diner. He is apparently not getting service as quickly as he wants to. And he's listening to two girls at the table behind him. One girl is explaining to the other how her and her boyfriend went out on a date and her boyfriend proposed to her. And Peter starts twitching, jumps up out of the table, yells something about a grease pit, and storms out. As he leaves, he grabs his neck where the Band-Aid is, stumbling in pain. An old man stops and asks if he's all right. And he says, yeah, I'm fine, get away from me, and gets up and walks away. In front of an apartment building, there are a pair of mimes doing a bizarre, it's a dance about an abusive relationship. And there's a windstorm. Yes. Like, they're there's blowing a windstorm.
1: A, and it's just dust going by. It's fucking weird.
0: Yep. There's a windstorm as they're dancing, and so the, the, the guy mime slaps the girl mime, and then she spits on him, and he threatens to beat the shit out of her, and then they go back to dancing. Uh, kind of like the writer's relationship with his girlfriend that he wrote this about. Yeah. It's the story in the story. And she wanted to be a producer on this. <laughs> well, Peter walks into the building uh, because there's a payphone in the lobby and he needs to make a call. He, he calls Dr. Glazer, uh, but he gets her answering machine. And it's a weird top-down shot. So the camera's like up at the ceiling looking down on the lobby and the elevator opens and a drunken couple comes stumbling out of the elevator and the guy is wearing one of those balloon hats. (laughs) I don't know why, but they stumble out.
1: It looks like he's got a baseball hat on with a condom inflated on it.
0: (laughs) But well, when he can't get Dr. Glazer, Peter calls Jackie to apologize for ditching her at the, at the gallery. He wants to meet her at a bar later that night so he can explain, and she agrees. Back out on the street, the mimes are still doing their abusive relationship dance. Back at his apartment, Peter is getting ready to go meet Jackie. He pulls the Band-Aid off his neck. There's nothing under there. There's no bite. There's no razor nick. Nothing. So he puts the bandaid back on
1: (laughs) the way you do the way you do. Yeah. If you're a psycho.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then he hears something tapping at the door. So he heads to the door very cautiously calling out who's there. Who's there. (laughs) (laughs) He opens up the door and there's just empty hallway. There's nobody at the door back inside the apartment. He starts having a panic attack and then decides he's just going to leave. Uh, Jackie is waiting for her at the for him at the bar and it looks like she's starting to lose her patience. Peter makes it all the way to the front door and then Rachel comes down the stairs behind him and uh, she's telling him what he's thinking. He's wondering how I got in, but he let me in. That sort of thing. Yeah. And she tells him that she is a jealous mistress. Takes him by the hand. And leads him back upstairs. Meanwhile, Jackie is writing a note on a napkin and leaving the bar. And Peter and Jackie are having some kind of weird vampire sex. <laughs>
1: it's not that weird. It, I mean, it, just, it looks like B-roll from the last thing, but he's not freaking out as much. He he seems like he's going in. He's getting into it. But yeah, it's still awkward vampire
0: sex. Yeah. Yeah, it is. At his desk, Peter is calling for Alva, and he's just saying her name louder and louder each time. Out on the floor of the office, Alva is doing her best to ignore him. And this is where the movie goes completely bizarre.
1: Yeah, no, this this is insane.
0: He comes storming out of his office, jumps up on a desk, points down at her and yells, There you are! (laughs) <laughs> and then chases her down the hallway and into the ladies' room. She is scared to death, right? Wouldn't you be? Oh yeah, no.
1: Well, no, because I'm—I live in a, like kind of a same universe and shit. And there's shit in place. <laughs> but yeah, he—he no, he looks like a psycho about to kill this woman, and she looks like a woman in fear for her life. She grabs a purse and immediately runs out. And he's just like strolling through, like chasing yeah, he's... To the bathroom.
0: Chasing her down the hall and then she runs into the ladies room and he goes right in behind her. An old lady is coming out of the stall and what the hell's going on here? (laughs) And uh, they just don't pay any attention to her. She says she's got a gun in her purse. He doesn't seem to be too worried about that. Peter apologizes and and walks out and Alva is at her desk searching for the contract after everything has kind of calmed down. And the old lady asks her, you know, are you sure you're okay? Yeah, she's fine. Meanwhile, in a conference room, Peter and the guys are having a great laugh at how upset Alpha was that Peter chased her into the ladies. Fucking asshole.
1: It seems like at first, like, just no one gave a shit that she's like fucking terrorized at work. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody cares. And that's in the the office pool, and then you get behind you know directors' doors, and they're fucking lapping it up and having a couple highballs balls, right? Of time,
0: yeah, it's definitely a toxic workplace.
1: Fucking dicks, man. Sorry, it's getting language.
0: <laughs> Back home, Peter arrives uh, at his apartment, but first he's got to stop by and check the mail. There is a note on his mailbox from Jackie that says "Stay out of my life," and he rips that up in a rage. Meanwhile, Alva is on the subway headed home as Peter trashes his apartment. Apparently, uh, breaking up, Jackie breaking up with him was more than he could handle, and he's just breaking all kinds of stuff. Alva is on the subway, and uh, Busker is walking by just shaking his little change cup in everybody's face until they give him some spare change. Peter has gone into the bathroom and grabbed stuff up off the sink and thrown it at the mirror, and that cracks the mirror, and then he's looking at himself in this broken mirror, which, of course, is a metaphor for insanity. Yeah. And then we get a shot of Rachel laughing. Yeah, anytime somebody's looking in a broken mirror, that person just had a psychotic break.
1: They filmed that trashing scene where he trashes his apartment with two cameras, right? Okay. (laughs) Action! They broke one of the cameras.
0: I don't doubt it. I mean, he was he was not holding back at all.
1: Oh no, it, it wasn't really acting either because like it was all real. It was, like now they would like go in and like pre cut shit and stuff, and it kind of have like, "Are we gonna set this shot up and stuff?" This right. shit is, they had two cameras on the room, and it's like they just let Nicholas Cage off the chain, and he went at it like so. If he yeah got cut or something, that was all on him.
0: Yeah, exactly. And if you want to see it again, hang on. He's going to trash the apartment a second time. Peter is at the therapist. He's explaining that he got upset at the office. And he's just babbling to her about the contract not being in the file. Dr. Glazer says maybe it was misfiled. And Peter just freaks the fuck out.
1: Oh, man, this is a classic scene.
0: And he wants to know who misfiled it. She has to tell him who misfiled it. Because filing things is the easiest thing in the world. It's all in alphabetical order. And then he screams the alphabet at the top of his lungs. He looks like a seven-year-old throwing a tantrum.
1: He looks like Mick Jagger playing a seven-year-old throwing a tantrum. <laughs> but yeah, I love this. It's like he starts off just aggressively saying the letters. And by the time he's at Q, he's screaming, throwing his hair around, throwing his hands up in the air.
0: Yeah. Totally on his him. waist, on his hips, you know, just
1: that's the Mick Jagger. guy. Yeah.
0: Yep. He wants the therapist to tell him who misfiled this contract. And she said, well, there's no possible way I would even have know that. Yeah. <laughs> Some psychiatrist you are. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> also, he mentions that it's really, really bright in this office. And from now on, Peter wears sunglasses all the time.
1: Oh, yeah, no, it's that trope where, uh, by day two, you know, they do yeah. doing a and everything. Gotta get the sunglasses, gotta be joke chill out there.
0: Yes. Back at the office, Alpha is summoned to Peter's office again. He offers her a pistachio and blames his bad behavior yesterday on mescaline.
1: <laughs> oh, man, if I had a dollar for every time I said that. <laughs>
0: It was actually heroin. It wasn't (laughs) mescaline. Nobody was fooled. Um, I don't know anything about that. No. (laughs) I'm talking about the movie. Talking about the movie. (laughs) Alpha is getting ready to go home, but she hasn't found the contract, and Peter wants her to stay late and find that contract. She asks for some help, but that's not going to happen because she is the lowest person on the totem pole. And even if there was one person who had been there even one day less than her, he wouldn't put her on. He wouldn't put that person on a job this crappy. This is personal now. Uh, when she leaves his office, uh, Peter calls after Alva. Don't you want to use your gun, Alva? <laughs> this is where we discover that Peter is now suicidal.
1: Yeah. Also, uh, this is where you get that uh, that meme. Where he's just like doing the weird eye stare, yeah. And it in the meme, it's like Trace. So like, I don't know. Unless you're like a film aficionado, or you read about it on the internet, no one knew where that fucking face came from. But when I saw it, it, (laughs) I was immediately, I was like, oh, that's that vampire movie, Nicholas Cage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Walking home, Peter looks up and sees a neon cross, and this causes him to collapse on the sidewalk. Uh, Somebody stops to help him, and he just runs away and leaves his bags of groceries behind. At his apartment, the phone is ringing, but uh, Rachel throws him on the bed before he can answer it. She demands that he tell her that he loves her, and as soon as he does, well, she just chomps on his neck. After they get done with their freaky vampire stuff, Nosferatu is on TV. Nice. Rachel is praising Peter for being clever about keeping her a secret, and she lays her head on his lap as he sits on the edge of the bed, twitching and mumbling and watching Nosferatu, which is really the only way to watch that movie, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Next morning, Peter is singing in the shower. He's uh, turned around 180 degrees, and he is joined in the shower by... An imaginary Rachel. Uh, then Peter thinks he gets burned when he touches the mirror. Yeah. I I didn't know that was a vampire.
1: Well, old mirrors were made like out of mercury or something. Okay. But they could just be Nicolas Cage in the moment, being Nicolas Cage, and they just went with it. I, I like it. It makes it a touch. like He hasn't lost his vision yet, or he hasn't lost his reflection in the mirror yet, but he's like, you know.
0: Right. In the kitchen, he sees a cockroach crawling along along the stove, and he catches it and eats it. Back in his office, he wonders what Alva's doing, so he calls Judy to send Alva in, but Alva, Alva's not at the office today. Alva called in sick. At her house, Alva explains to her mother that she's not going to work because her boss is a bastard. Her mother won't hear it, though. So. <laughs> You'll need to get up and go to work. But being so lazy. (laughs) Peter goes through the company Rolodex until he finds Alva's address, then jumps in a cab and heads that way. Back before smartphones, we had to write everybody's phone number and address down. We couldn't just drop a pin on their house and tell Google to take us there or whatever. We had to write all that stuff down. It was kept on a big wheel. And that's where Peter found Alva's stuff. At Alva's house, uh, the cab drops Peter off, but doesn't leave. It's going to wait there. Alva is inside wearing jeans and a bra, and that's all, and ironing her shirt. And Peter, instead of knocking on the door, knocks on the window where he can look through at her. No idea how long he's been standing there. Uh, he says he came to apologize for how he treated her, plus he has soup. A plastic bag of soup
1: mix. Yeah, it's not even the good shit. It's like powdered stuff.
0: Yeah, it's it's a bodega, uh, clip rack soup mix. It,
1: it looked like swinging like a little baggie of cocaine at her, and it, yeah, then he soup, and then and like, I'm like, oh, oh, he's just
0: <laughs> you just suck at bringing gifts. <laughs> yeah. Well, Alva admits that she wasn't really sick. That was her. That was her second mistake after opening the fucking door. Yeah, nah, for real. You don't open the door on your psycho for your psycho boss. You call the police. That's it. Peter's cool, though. He offers to pay the cab fare and call a truce if she will return to the office with him. And she agrees. So they hop in the cab. On the way back to the office, Peter's talking about the pressures of leadership. And Alva will understand when she's in a leadership position, which he's sure she will achieve because she's a very bright girl. That's how he knows that today is the day that she's going to find that damn contract.
1: <laughs> what a fucking <laughs> dick. <dude. laughs>
0: he is screaming about the contract, and then he starts to get sick um, and calls Alva a bitch when she asks if he's all right. <laughs> so Alva wants to stop at this gas station that they're driving by because it just happens to be the gas station where her brother works. I thought she was just trying to ditch him. But no, this really is the gas station where her brother were. Inside, this is where we find out that the gun in Alva's purse, it was never loaded. And she wants bullets for the gun, but this guy only has blanks. So she takes the blanks and heads back to the cab. I wouldn't have gone back to the cab. No,
1: especially, you know... You're in a fucking garage with like, you know, a, a, anywhere from like five to 15 like strong dudes that could totally go out there and kick that guy's ass.
0: You're related to one of them, so they're all gonna protect you.
1: Yeah, he's got a stake in it. It's not like, well, in, in, anyway, like, chick comes running in. It's like, hey, there's a crazy guy in the cab, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the alarms are gonna go off.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Now you got like that cab driver out there who this is like his birthday too, you know?
0: Yeah. He's got to deal with a crazy-ass Nick Cage in the backseat. He's telling Nick Cage about his, the picture of his wife there. He says, yeah, you know, it's not work if you if you if you, if you got a good reason. <laughs> they get back to the office, and he pays forty four fifty for the cab fare, and it's almost all of his cash. And then he threatens Alva if she doesn't find the contract. In the men's room, Peter is clearly reflected in the mirror, but he thinks he's turned into a vampire and has no reflection anymore. I mean, we can see him in the in the mirror, yeah, but Peter can't see himself in, and he's blubbering, "Where am I? Where am I?" And a voice from the stall answers, "You're in the goddamn crapper low, and I'm trying to take a dump <laughs> <laughs>
1: Now, why don't you go and run off to the ladies' restroom so I can shit in
0: peace? Exactly. <laughs> this is where the movie started to get fun for me.
1: Yeah, this is like uh, the complete downward spiral. This is the the ending crescendo. Is like from here to then the end of movie yes. is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, back in his office, Judy tells him that he has a call, but Peter tells her to to tell whoever it is that he's in a meeting. Later that evening, Alva is sorting through contracts. Meanwhile, Rachel is in Peter's office, chomping on that neck again. Alva finally found the contract, and she's so happy. She heads to Peter's office and knocks on the door, but Peter's not answering. Peter gets up, and he says, I just never found the right woman. I don't know what that's about.
1: No, okay. There's a little bit right there as she finds the file and she's walking up. The taxi driver is in there with his wife.
0: That's right. He's hallucinating the taxi driver and his wife sitting on the on his sofa in his office.
1: Yeah. And they're like giving him relationship advice and shit. So he's 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 pinned it down at a weird level that the reason why he's miserable and kind of going crazy. This whole thing is he's done nothing but like work and he's miserable and he, he treats people like shit. And right. It's all because it's lonely.
0: Well, Alva, Peter opens the door for Alva, and she's excited that she finally found the contract, but he says it's too late. Oh, man. And he oh. he chases her down the hallway. Too late? Too late? late. Too late? Yeah, he just keeps repeating too late. The way she he takes off it, running. That walk is insane
1: the way he chases her.
0: Yeah. The he goes side bouncing side. off the walls and shit. Yeah, no, he's insane. Just ping pong. Inball bouncing off the walls. She doesn't go into the ladies' room this time. She heads down the stairs, and he chases her. They end up in the basement of the building, and that's when she pulls out her gun on Peter, and he is actually pretty happy about that, and he wants her to shoot him. Eventually, he tells her if he doesn't shoot her, then he'll fire her. <clears throat> if she doesn't shoot him, he will fire her. She shoots at the floor because it's only blanks in the gun. He doesn't know it's not bullets. He actually thinks it's bullets, and she wants Alva to shoot him. When she doesn't shoot him, he yells at her that she's fired, and then he rapes her. And Alva is laying on the floor passed out with Peter on top of her, and that's when, at least according to Peter, she turns into Rachel and is laughing at him. When he sees this, he picks up Alva's gun, and he he sits over in a corner with his knees pulled up. He sticks the barrel of the gun as far as it'll go into his mouth and pulls the trigger, but the blanks don't hurt him. But to Peter's messed up mind, the bullet can't injure him.
1: Also, that's like a snub-nosed revolver, and she shot like five times at the floor. Yeah. So those two shots that he shoots in his head weren't even in the gun. I mean, I know they're blanks and shit, but like when he shoots, he's imagining those going
0: off. Oh, yeah, because if you did that with blanks, you're going to get killed anyway, even if there's no uh, bullet. It's going to do damage. So those
1: those two shots, when he tries to commit suicide with the the pistol,
0: totally in his his head. Peter wakes up the passed out Alva and tells him that he is a vampire then runs through the streets of New York yelling oh, at the top of his lungs. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire.
1: Yeah, no, that's <laughs> great. Cause uh, that's method <laughs> acting, right? Just running the street, screaming at the top of his lungs. Also remember, uh, wasn't like a, a film. So they had no permits and shit. So all these people like on the streets, except for maybe like one or two, I think the mimes. Yeah. Everybody else doesn't know what the fuck's going on. They're like right. shot from long lenses and shit. So, yeah, he's just running down the street. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire. I'm a vampire.
0: Yeah. And everybody else is walking down the street going, it's fucking New York.
1: You could have just showed that clip <laughs> as a trailer. Yeah.
0: Well, Peter runs all the way home and shatters the mirror in his bedroom. This is the second trashing of his apartment. He throws all of his clothes out onto the floor. Rachel enters the trashed apartment to see that Peter has turned over his sofa and is lying underneath it,
1: like a poor man's coffin.
0: Yeah, he has made a makeshift leather sofa coffin,
1: and his his house does look like a vampire's lair or some shit from like fiction.
0: It just looks like a, a, a trashed place. It's horrible. Yeah. It's kind of like the um, the Jesse Pinkman house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Peter tells Rachel that he's hungry, and Rachel tells him he knows what he has to do. Meanwhile, Alva is in bed crying as her mother calls her to breakfast, and her mother is serving up eggs to Alva's dad and brother and telling him, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with her. She came in late last night back in his apartment. Peter is sitting on his bed, chomping a pillow. (laughs) Maybe he's practicing his vampire bite. Maybe he's trying to suffocate himself. Can't really tell. I don't know. He wants those
1: fangs so he can go kill somebody. Right. And they're not coming out because he's insane.
0: Meanwhile, Alva's brother is knocking on the bedroom door to check on her, but she sends him away. Back at Peter's apartment, his phone is ringing, but the phone's in the sunlight, so he can't touch it without getting burned. And finally, he just grabs the phone and jerks the cord out of the wall and then starts checking his teeth to see if he's getting his fangs yet. Still no fangs. (laughs) So he does what any reasonable, normal person would do. Yeah. He goes to a novelty shop to buy himself some vampire fangs. (laughs) <laughs> well, the, the Asian man at the novelty shop is showing him some brand new fiberglass fangs that look very realistic. They He likes them. They cost $19.95, but he spent all his money on the cab fare stocking his secretary. Uh, so he's only got $4 left. He asks <laughs> if there's something cheaper, and he says, oh, yeah, I got these cheap ones, only 3 dollars And they're the little white plastic vampire fangs that you get for Halloween.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So he takes them and then he goes to the park and he sits down on the park bench. And I don't care how many times I see this. I laugh every single time. He puts these plastic fangs in his mouth and then looks straight into the camera, bugging his eyes out and making the most ridiculous face. And it's perfect. And I love it.
1: Oh, yeah. The way. Also, he runs he like he's like run sneaking, you know? Yeah. He, the, like entire city around him, but he's like run sneaking. He sits down on the pinch. He rips this small little brown paper bag open to get at these things, you know. Like it's a yeah. big like on Christmas or some shit. And then he, he does the thing and he looks in the camera and there that's the cover of the movie. Yeah. It, and with the cheapest, stupidest looking plastic fangs making a goofy <laughs> for- <laughs>
0: And there'll be so much more of this. You definitely get your money's worth out of those cheap fangs, man. I love them.
1: yeah. Uh, the last 30 minutes of this movie is just fucking insane comedic yeah. gold.
0: Well, Peter stops at a phone booth and calls Dr. Glaser, who um, can barely understand him because of the fake fangs in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to move up his appointment with her. He gets an appointment for Monday morning and then starts chasing pigeons.
1: Oh, man. All right, uh, they had to drug these pigeons,
0: yeah, because he caught one,
1: yeah. Who catches Nicolas, a pigeon? Nicolas Cage thought he actually caught a pigeon, <laughs> and then, when they were doing the DVD commentary, the director was like, No, nah, man, I, I drugged those pigeons.
0: Do you think <laughs> you caught a pigeon?
1: You can't catch
0: pigeons. <laughs> No, you cannot catch pigeons. But Nick Cage caught a pigeon. Scoops it because, up like an Easter egg. Just rolls on. Yeah. He takes the pigeon back to his apartment where he apparently eats it. We just see feathers all over the place. And Peter belching disgustingly. But apparently he got it down. Then he sets his alarm clock and crawls into his sofa coffin to sleep. <laughs> He's got... The sofa's turned upside down, and he just kind of leans it up on its back. <laughs> He's got pillows and blankets laid out, or pillows and sheets laid out on the floor. <laughs> He's in his t-shirt and boxers. Yeah. He crawls onto his pillows and then lowers the sofa down like it's a coffin lid. <laughs> and
1: then all to a spooky moon that would be in like a regular vampire movie.
0: Yes, there is a full moon. We get several shots of New York at dusk. Peter's alarm clock goes off, and so he crawls out of his sofa coffin, still wearing the fake fangs. He heads to a nightclub where he pushes his way through the crowd outside, punches the doorman in the gut, and just walks in.
1: Yeah, that look that's on his face as he's walking through that crowd of people is...
0: (laughs) (coughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's walking real stiff. With his arms down at his side, not moving, kind of Pee-wee Herman style.
1: Yeah, it looks like Pee-wee Herman dressed as Dracula, and he's yeah. just it keeps it, it, on cutting to like all these chicks, and they're like the low cut, and they got the necks out. Yeah, he's it, like at a fucking I don't know, like a vampire smorgasbord or some shit, and and his own I little world it, yeah.
0: and it's a disco. This place is packed with people dancing. He's got his lips pulled back so that the fangs are. Completely visible, eyes bugged out, staring over his shoulder at the camera as he walks across the floor of this disco. (laughs) I love it. It's great. Upstairs, uh, apparently, um, he finds a woman who is sitting on a sofa all by herself with a bag of cocaine.
1: Because 80s.
0: Because 80s, yeah. He sits down beside her and they start talking and she seems to be into whatever it is he's saying to her, but then he kind of gets handsy and she slaps him. That's when he grabs her and bites her neck, killing her. Uh, Peter leaves her dead on the sofa and then stumbles out of the club retching and covered with blood. People are disgusted by the retching. They don't seem to think much about the blood. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Because New York, right? Yeah, because New York.
1: (laughs) Actually, the last last 30 minutes could be summed up in that one tagline. Because New York.
0: Because New York, yeah. Rachel appears and tells Peter that he's being very antisocial, but he's confident that he can be just like her. She takes out his fake fangs and calls him pathetic. He says he loves her, but but she says she's disgusted by him. He says, but you're with me, and she says, nope, nope, I'm with this guy, and they walk off, and Peter is distraught. Peter makes his way back through the crowd of dancers until he finds Rachel and confronts her, but this is where we find out Rachel's not a vampire. Rachel's that woman that he met at the very beginning of the movie when the guys were talking about the IRAs, and he's never seen her since then. Yeah. Until just now, when he bumped into her on the dance floor, he tries to to confront her about what how she's done him wrong, and that's when her date tries to pull Peter away from her, and and they scuffle. Peter tells them to look at her teeth because she's a fucking vampire. As the bouncers drag him out of the club, I think he's finally gone too far. Maybe. I
1: don't know. This guy was gone
0: at the end of the movie. I called him. Yeah. I like. Yeah. No. Outside, people waiting to get into the club. He tells them that he can prove that he's a vampire, but they ridicule him. One guy makes a sign of the cross with his fingers and chases Peter off into the dark. They're telling him he needs to get home to his coffin because it's almost morning. And it is, too. Peter rounds a corner and the sun has come up and hits him full in the face. And he is convinced that he's going to be killed by the sun. That morning, Alva confides to her brother that Peter raped her. He gets the phone book and finds Peter's address. They hop in his Camaro and take off. Meanwhile, Peter has found a stack of pallets. and He starts (laughs) kicking at them until he breaks a slat off to use as a wooden stake. And then he tries to tell two people who are passing by that he's a vampire and he wants them to kill him. By driving this stake through his heart. Those now, two people,
1: they were just passers by. Like, yeah, a lot. they didn't know what the fuck was going on.
0: Yeah, this is not a movie lot. Those people are not actors. This was a spy camera shot on an actual street. And uh, Nicolas Cage just walked up to two people who were minding their own business. And if they look freaked out, that's not acting. They were genuinely afraid of him. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's uh, disheveled Nick Cage with fake blood and like his ties all loose, and he just he runs in front of him, rips the fucking thing off the thing, and then starts handing it to. Him. It's like kill me, kill me now, kill me good. And they're like, nah, nah. <laughs> they just, like start jumping over him and like running and shit.
0: Yeah, great. Next, he comes up on a group of people filing into a church. Peter runs up and asks them to hold a cross up to him. <laughs> Get out of here. And they head into the church and he yells after him, me vampire, but they ignore him. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Alva and her brother are apparently speeding toward Peter's apartment. We see Peter shambling through the streets in New York, dragging his stake behind him. He passes a newsstand, and the newspaper headline is about a dead girl found at a disco. Alva and her brother park on Peter's street and wait for him to show up. And he That's just it. tells her, tell me when you see him. Peter walks into a building he didn't see standing there. He's crossing the street, and he gets up on the sidewalk and just, bam, face first, right into a building <laughs> that was minding its own business. This triggers a hallucination and he starts hallucinating that he is at his appointment with Dr. Glazer, he doesn't think that she can help him. And this scene cuts back and forth between Peter, cleaned up, in a suit, holding his wooden stake, standing on Dr. Glazer's window ledge, talking to Dr. Glazer. It cuts from that to the bloody, bedraggled Peter standing alone on a street corner talking to himself. We get to see what what's actually happening and Peter's perception of what's happening throughout this it, whole scene.
1: It's done really well, too. Like
0: It really is. This is like the scene in Fight Club where Ed Norton sees the video footage of him fighting himself. Yeah. Peter tells Dr. Glazer that what he really needs is love. And he believes that Dr. Glazer thinks Peter can't find love, but he swears he will, and then by George, he'll be happy. Well, Dr. Glazer loses her composure and starts laughing at him, and she says she could have saved both of them a lot of money, because the patient that comes in right after Peter has the exact same issues, and they are made for each other, and she's going to hook them up. (laughs) So Dr. Glazer introduces Peter to Sharon, who just happened to arrive at that very moment. Um, she likes all the things that Peter likes, and it's great because it cuts back and forth between this office and Peter standing kind of hunched over with a goofy grin on his face, going, Oh yeah, you like that too? I like that thing too. <laughs> yeah, reminds
1: me of that uh, Peggy Sue got married before. I don't think I ever saw that. Oh man, it's about Kathleen Turner and she goes back to her high school prom date like some okay. kind of back in time thing and he's her prom date. It <laughs> kind of, it's not kind of like back to the future but she does it in her mind and not with like an actual time machine. It's some kind of supernatural thing.
0: Oh god.
1: That's pretty good though. It was, it was I good. mean, I
0: like Kathleen Turner. Jeez. Yeah. But yeah, Sharon likes all the things that Peter likes, and he quotes some poetry, and she recognizes it as Longfellow. And Dr. Glazer says that this relationship was written in the stars. (laughs) So Peter has a new imaginary girlfriend. Let's see how long this one lasts. As they get ready to leave, Peter remembers, oh, there's a couple of the things I wanted to tell you about, and he tells Dr. Glazer that he raped Alva, and she assures him that that's no big deal. Oh, 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 and one other thing, Um, Peter tells her that he turned into a vampire and murdered somebody last night, and he's worried that the cops are going to. Dr. Glazer tells him not to worry about it. People get murdered every day in New York. You just go start your life with Sharon, and I'll take care of the cops. So Peter heads home, and you see Peter doing a New York City walk and talk headed down a New York City street, but he's talking to nobody. Yeah. He's having a very nice, very smiley conversation with absolutely no one until his imaginary girlfriend starts asking about how he turned into a vampire. He doesn't want to talk about that, but apparently she won't let it drop. And Peter loses his temper on the front steps of his apartment. This is when Alva sees him and says, look, that tells her brother, that's him right there. And her brother is going to go fix things. He breaks the glass on the front door to break into the apartment building and heads to Peter's apartment. As Peter is in his apartment, having a shouting match with his new imaginary girlfriend, apparently. It almost lasted until they got in the house. (laughs) And before Alva's brother can get to the apartment, Peter has thrown his new imaginary girlfriend out. And he crawls into his sofa coffin. That's where Alva's brother finds him and he lifts up the sofa. He wants to fight. Peter, on the other hand, wants to die. So he grabs his wooden stake and holds it over his heart. And Alva's brother just grabs a hold of it and shoves it right through Peter's chest, killing him. Camera pans up the wall of the trashed apartment. Then vampire Rachel appears and says, dream of me, my angel, dream of me. Another shot of the Manhattan skyline and roll credit. Roll credit. That was so messed up. Yeah. It's uh, a
1: really touchy subject matter. Yeah. Yeah. Sexual assault, fucking mental illness, suicide. Yeah, it's, it's a messed up movie, but for some reason, I laugh at it.
0: It's the fangs. It's the plastic fangs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Man, like everybody talks shit about Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I know he's not a perfect person, but I just love his. Um, Mandy, I love that fucking movie. Uh, fucking, what was that one? Snake Eyes, I love that shit. Face yeah. Off. Like, like, you went at the beginning of this, you went down a couple of movies, but the motherfucker's have been in a shitload of shit.
0: Yeah, I liked Face Off. Face that, Off was a weird concept, and they did it in a weird way, and I liked
1: it. Yeah. I'm the dude playing the dude that's playing another dude.
0: Yes. I mean, John Travolta and Nick Cage both in that one. I mean, Nick Cage had to play John Travolta doing a Nick Cage impersonation.
1: Yeah. And it was
0: fantastic.
1: It was it was pretty good. Like I just I love Nicolas Cage. I mean, he, and not everything like fucking great, but right. A lot of it is, and even when it's not great, he's the greatest in it. Like this movie, like it's not for everybody, but shit. I mean, we know about it. It's memes, you know. It's fucking. It's in the zeitgeist of you know the world. He got
0: to be. He got to be in a in a Alcatraz film with James Bond. Come on. Which one? The Rock.
1: Oh uh, yeah, okay, yeah. I, I thought that, yeah,
0: yeah. That was a fucked up. That was a dumb.
1: Yeah, no, that was a summer blockbuster bullshit thing. But yeah, me and my dad saw. <laughs> it. it was. Good. It, I mean, it was a good popcorn flick. You know, summer weekend.
0: Yeah, but the, this movie will be those. The those bug eyes and fake fangs will forever be burned into my brain.
1: Yeah, it's an man, acquired. I love it, theater, man. Yeah, no, it, it, I it. Good. love it.
0: All right, man. I think that's a podcast.
1: Hell yeah.